Hey guys, Joe McCall, REI in your car. How's it going? part four, I think, of my story into real estate investing. So, the, I'm trying to figure out where I need to go next and what I need to talk about. You know how, I, at the time, if you listen to the last three episodes, you should go listen to them if you've not heard them yet because you'll hear a little bit of the context of what I'm talking about. I had a bunch of private money. Um, I had a bunch of loans that I had bought subject to and I had a bunch of bank loaned properties where I mean the the um, <laughs> they became bank owned properties uh, I had bought houses with rentals uh, with mortgages and I was losing houses left and right I was just selling what I could but there wasn't enough equity in them and some of them I just had to go in foreclosures or do short sales on and this was 2008 most of it was 2008 and uh, but I never missed a payment on one of my subject twos um, I was late a lot, and I never, but I never got a seller to have a 30-day late on their credit, if you know what I'm saying. So that's why I'm not a huge fan of Subject 2s. Um, and I even had some private, I had a lot of private money on these homes. I borrowed some of my profits early, which is the stupidest, stupidest thing ever. Don't If you ever, ever hear a guru tell you that you can borrow some of your profits earlier, I hereby give you permission, and I'm going to say a bad word right here. I hereby give you permission to bitch slap them. Okay? I said it. I said it. You can bitch slap any guru that tells you to borrow your profits early. That's like the stupidest thing ever. Especially when you're borrowing your profits from a private investor. Huh. Okay. So I said it. That's how passionate I am about that stuff. Uh, but that's what like those guys were teaching at the time. Oh, well, so turns out that I'm going to go this way. Hold on one second. All right, so during this whole time, I was had a serious, serious cash flow problem. And um, I was hemorrhaging cash. I was borrowing money where I shouldn't be borrowing money. I was robbing Peter to pay Paul, missing my own mortgage payments so that I could pay these other mortgage payments on these houses. Uh, I remember, man, I just, you know, it was, it was tough thinking about. Like, I'd have to call my tenant up and tell them, hey, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm losing this house to foreclosure, you have to move out. And they had been paying their rent on time. And uh, what can you do? It's like, ah, it sucks. So, no, I, mean, I, I would go to bed at like midnight, you know, trying to figure out how I'm going to make money. And I'd wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning in a cold sweat. I was still working my full-time job. Wake up 4 or 5 in the morning in a cold sweat, trying to figure out how I was going to pay the bills or get survive that day. Um, you know, I was a wreck at home, yelling at my kids and wife all the time and, and uh, totally stressed out. And it was at that time, you know, like, you have a vacancy and you need the money on a property, so you just take the first tenant that applies 
and you don't care about their criminal background, you don't care if they're drug dealers, they've got money they can put down on the house and you can make another mortgage payment with that option, with that option deposit or with the uh, security deposit on that rental. So you just take the first one that's got some money. Who cares about verifiable income? <laughs> Who cares about employment history or eviction history? Uh, I would just take the first person that could fog a mirror that had enough money and then that just starts a vicious downward spiral of bad tenant after bad tenant. And I had these tenants that were just trash properties and stopped paying. They knew how to play the system. And of course I was to blame. I was the evil landlord that was getting rich off of their poor fortunes, uh, misfortunes. And uh, all, you know, so I was the bad, oh, hold on, the thing stumped. I was the bad landlord, the fat cat. Um, so they would, you know, not pay rent, trash the property, and I'd get the property back finally after three, four months of no payment, of, of paying an attorney to do the eviction. And I'd have to put another three to five grand into the property, which I didn't have to fix it up. So that was all depressing. And uh, just the stress at home. Wife wasn't happy with me not being around. She didn't even know either, like, that we were getting behind on our mortgage payments. And uh, such an idiot. But, uh, and... Uh, Oh my gosh. Well, it was a complete disaster. Um, and I knew at the time that I needed to figure out how to make some money. And I heard somebody talk about how you can't eat equities. And there was a book at the time called Equity Happens. <laughs> well, it also doesn't happen. It, you also lose equity. But... I realized I needed to learn how to make quick cash. I need to learn how to wholesale properties. Because up to this point, I thought the, the, the key to wealth in real estate, the key to freedom, was to buy as many houses as you could. Just buy a bunch of houses. So what if it only cash flows $100, $200 a month? <laughs> so what if you have to borrow a bunch of money to buy a house? So what if, you know, blah, blah, blah. The houses always appreciate. You should leverage... Get as much debt as you can to buy as many properties as you can. It'll all work out. All right, so I just got a phone call, so I had to interrupt myself, and I lost my train of thought. I'm right now driving. Here I am talking about my poor misery, and um, I'm driving around this country club that we're thinking about joining now. Um, things are a lot better. I'll just put it that way. And this country club I'm looking at is really awesome, and we're thinking about joining it. But maybe not. I don't know. It's uh, it's not cheap. We can afford it, but I'm just like, oh, is this like the best use of my money? Join a country club? Um, I don't know. We'll see. So I'm just driving around looking at it. It's one of the nicest ones in the St. Louis area where we are. Um. We're just not the country club type. Anyway, so I had a serious cash flow problem. You can't eat equities, right? And I decided that uh, I needed to learn how to make money faster. And I remember at the time hearing gurus talk about wholesaling. And I remember thinking, that's not sexy. Um, 
I want to make long, I want to build long-term wealth, right? Wholesaling is just for beginners. Um, I don't want to be a beginner. I want to be an advanced, experienced investor. So I don't want to learn wholesaling. Um, that's for rookies. I am a better investor than that. And so I really kind of like subconsciously shunned wholesalers. I didn't think wholesalers were real investors. Uh, how wrong I was. And uh, there's the pool. It's nice. How wrong I was. And so I started um, really thinking more again about wholesaling and started thinking about, I need to learn how to do this stuff. Because these guys, even in the recession when the market crashed, were still doing well. They were still making money and they didn't have to go out and buy loans. And who cares if values go down? They just buy them cheaper. And even during the market crash when it was at its worst, there were still investors that were buying properties. And you just had to find out what prices they were buying homes at and buy them five, ten grand cheaper, right? So all my wholesaling buddies were still making money, even though the market was crashed, had crashed. They were just making the adjustments necessary, right? They were just making adjustments. Which, by the way, I'm driving through this country club. I think I would have to get a different car. I drive this old beast called the Ford Excursion that's a 7.3 liter diesel. And if I were to join this thing, I would probably be really shunned at <laughs> driving this loud beast into the in the area. It's so obnoxiously loud, I'd probably break all of their sound ordinances, noise level ordinances. Okay, so... Um, I realized I needed to learn cash flow. I need, learn, needed to learn how to make money, how to make cash. And so, and at the time, I was like sick of buying real estate courses because I'd been burnt, you know, in my mind at the time thinking I wasted all this money on education. I've been to all these boot camps and spent all this money on coaching. And look where it's got me, you know. I was mad and uh, completely stressed out. And I said, well, doggone it, I'm going to buy one more course and I'm going to learn this wholesaling thing. And... I'm going to try it, and I don't care what these guys say to do. I'm going to buy one more course, and I'm going to do exactly what he says. Even if I don't like it, I'm not going to change it, anything. I'm just going to do what he says. And so I started studying and looking around to see who has a good wholesaling course. And, of course, I say I buy, I'm going to buy one course, and I actually bought two. Um, this was when FlippingHomes.com was a real popular website. Do any of you guys remember FlippingHomes.com? So I bought... Flip, uh, I bought Steve Cook's course. Steve Cook had a course called Wholesaling for Fast Cash, I think is what it was. And I bought that, and I bought Chris Chico's course on virtual wholesaling. And I loved the idea of being able to virtually wholesale properties without seeing the home, right? Um, and it was Chris Chico's course, Virtual Wholesaling, that really kind of helped me the most. Now, Steve Cook's course was awesome. Steve Cook, um, we're still friends today, and I actually was in his coaching program for years and years, and I just got out like a year ago, not for any bad reason at all. It's just that I didn't have the time commitment that I could commit to being part of it anymore. He has a great coaching program called Life and Air. If any of you um, have heard of Life and Air, I've interviewed him before, uh, go get the book, Life and Air. Instead of Millionaire, it's Life and Air. And um, you can get it on Amazon and check Steve out. He's got a great coaching program in Life and Air. Um, so I, his course was really good. But one of the things he taught me in that course was if you are not having success in real estate, 
it's your fault, number one. And number two, it's because you're not making enough offers. And so one of the things he talked about is that anytime a student comes to him and complains it's not working, he asks them, how many offers have you made in the last week? And invariably, every single time, the student who's complaining hasn't made any offers. Or if they have, they've not made enough. So um, I was thinking, I remember at the time, thinking, I am not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy anymore, ever again, who complains that this doesn't work because I'm not making enough offers. I'm going to make offers. Doggone it. Come hell or high water, every day I commit to making offers every single day. And so that's what I started doing. Um, so Chris Chico's course started talking about, starts talking about um, uh, doing postcards, right? Ugly postcards. I didn't like the postcards. You know, they were not professional looking. Um, and I thought, well, okay, I said I would do what they said to do and I wouldn't change anything. So I started doing his ugly postcards and guess what? I started getting calls. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Started getting phone calls. And then um, I started getting calls from motivated sellers and I started using Chris's script. I didn't like Chris's script, which by the way, Steve Cook's course was mainly teaching you how to do deals as I remember it from the MLS, right? Just go and make a bunch of offers on the MLS. And so um, I started doing that a little bit. Um, but with Chris Chico's, I started just sending his postcards out. And I didn't like his script, but I would use it anyway. I didn't like his contracts, but I would do his contracts anyway. And um, within about two months, I started getting a lot of calls from sellers from these postcards. And uh, one of them, my very first wholesaling deal, was from a lady that got my postcard and said, you know what, it's, uh, the postcard you're mailing me about, I don't even want to sell that house, but I have this other house that I want to sell. And she was really motivated. So I told her I wasn't uh, really interested because it was, again, it was a house way out in the sticks. Um, it was a three family in probably an hour and a half away from downtown St. Louis, so way out in the country. And uh, there was just, I didn't, I, I tried to look at comps. I couldn't find any comps for three families. Didn't know any investors who were buying properties out there. Um, she practically begged me to make an offer. I'm not kidding. She practically begged me to make an offer. And uh, so I, uh, she, I'm, you know, I remember too, thinking back, she called me about three times before I called her. I was so nervous. Like this was an actual motivated seller. What's, something must be wrong. <laughs> Uh, what this isn't supposed to happen, right? Uh, but anyway, I finally got a hold of her, and I could not find any comps. I did see that it had expired. It had expired the year before. She was trying to sell it for like 125, I think. And um, so she tried to sell it for 125. It couldn't sell, and she just really, really wanted, needed the money, and she's begging me to make an offer. And I couldn't find comps, didn't have buyers. I was super nervous. And I said, oh, well, you know what? Okay, fine. Um, I'll just, I pulled a number out of you know where and I said, I'll, I'll offer you 50 for it. Five zero, right? $50,000. And she said, okay, fine. Where can I sign the paperwork? And I about fell out of my chair. I could not believe it. And uh, so I was super nervous. I was like, oh, really? Uh, yeah, you sure? You really sure? Positive? <laughs> She's like, yes. And I knew she was an elderly lady. So I, 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 again, I was like, oh man, 
what do I do? So I said, do you have somebody that can be with you? When I'll, I'll meet you. I met her at the YMCA um, near where I lived. And she said, fine, I'll meet you there. And I said, do you want to have somebody with you to review the contract with you? She said, yeah, okay, I'll have my son. So she had her son with her there. And I reviewed everything with her. And I was so nervous. I remember I went through Chris Chico's contracts. And um, I did say before that I would do anything, everything he said to do. But this time I didn't. I, uh, I, I, he had a simple one-page contract. I was all nervous about that, just a one-page contract. But I went and got, like, uh, all the, the biggest, fattest contract from some other course. And then I read it for, like, a couple hours. And I added all kinds of contingencies. Every contingency I could find from all these different courses, I put them in there. And I'm sure I had so many contingencies in there that it was just contradicting each other or something. Um... And I was like, wow, really? Okay. Uh, so I met her. She signed it. I had 30 days to buy the house. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Um, so I put a sign. I, Chico said to put a bandit sign out there or something. Um, so I put a bandit sign. And that day I got about three or four phone calls and got a full... Uh, I, I So I got it under contract for 50000 I was selling it for $65,000, right? So I'm selling my contract for a $15,000 assignment fee. I stuck a sign in the yard and I got a bunch of calls and a realtor called me and said, I have a buyer who wants to buy it. They'll pay cash. And I said, really? He said, yeah. Um, so I said, well, I got it. I was so nervous, right? Like something bad was going to happen. I said, well, I, I got to tell you something. I don't really own the house yet. I was going to buy it, but I don't own it yet. And I, and, but I'm going to buy it. He said, okay, no problem. So you just want to assign the contract to us or double close or what do you want to do? I was like, uh, you know what double close is? Yeah. So he, I remember him telling me, you just need to relax. Everything's going to be okay. We, we want to buy the house. 65000 is a very fair price. I was like, well, I, 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 I can't pay you a commission. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. My buyer's going to pay me a commission. So I said, well, okay, I don't have any title companies in this area. I don't know. And he said, well, we'll just use ours. It's no problem. So I said, well, give me the name and number of your title company. So I called his title company up, the buyer's title company. I said, hey, I got to explain something to you. I want to make sure that I'm not doing anything wrong and this is okay. And I said, I, I'm selling this house that I'm going to be buying and I'm not the owner and I got it under contract for this price. I'm going to sell it for this much. Is that okay? And I remember the title company saying, oh, it's relaxed. It's a fine, you know, no big deal. It's a cash buyer. There's no banks involved. And so anyway... Through all the mistakes that I've made on that deal, my first regular traditional wholesaling deal, I made about $13,000 after expenses. And uh, I was so excited, man. I was hooked. So excited because I remember thinking, these, like, I watch, I remember watching the gurus speak and, and, you know, parading all of the checks and testimonials from students on the uh, slides, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, that's a bunch of BS. That's not real. That's fake. And here it is happening to me. Like it actually happens. You can actually flip a contract and make $12,000. I couldn't believe it. So I was uh, super excited, really happy. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm going to end this now. Do a, what is this, a part five? Because I still got more exciting things. <laughs> it's like some cool things to share with you. Uh, I'll see you.